This episode is brought to you by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Learn more at slashandcast.net. Hello and welcome to the Conjecturing, I mean Conjecture Ween, a Halloweenish podcast. This is our fourth week, fourth week of Conjecture Ooh. Ween. We got one week to go after this. Wow, this time is flying by right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so with me is Laura. Hello. And Greg. Hey, everybody. And I'm your host, Rob. Uh, how's everybody doing tonight? Pretty good. Good, Rob. Good. Doing good. Doing good. My lips are chapped, but. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad everybody everybody's aware of that now listening. That's good. They, they can picture they can picture your cracked lips looking like Michael's cracked mask in this movie. It's a good one. Yeah, I like it. I, I like it. Smooth. Unlike my lips. <laughs> yeah, unlike your lips, yeah. <laughs> so Oh speaking, my god. Speaking of Greg's lips and what he's wearing, uh what do you what do you what are you wearing tonight, Greg? What's your background? What do you got going on tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my background is, is pretty straightforward. It's pitch black. It's got the mask of the, the new mask of old Michael Myers. And, um, my outfit is also the same. I've got, uh, kind of the same mask that I created for part one, the 1978 movie. Although I added a bunch of like, you know, crows, crows feet, you know, birds feet, all kinds of like, you know, (laughs) animal feet on the skin to make them look old, (laughs) old and wrinkly and retired. Mm -hmm. Uh, Retired. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know he's he's definitely coming out of retirement for this. But uh, oh, that's funny. He's, he's much older. Yeah, yeah. He 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 didn't take up golfing. He took up more killing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Laura, what what about you? What do you got for your background for this uh, uh, Halloween episode, 2018 movie? My background is Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode and her daughter Karen Strode in her Christmas sweater. And I have also come dressed as Karen Strode in my red and white Christmas sweater. And I wanted to ask you guys, just off the bat, do you guys know why she's wearing a Christmas sweater? Wasn't it just the fact that, like, they just don't want to acknowledge the Halloween, like, season yes. at all because of all the wow. killings, right? Exactly. It's almost like a rebellion thing. They just hate Halloween. She doesn't even want to acknowledge it to her mom. She just was like, I don't celebrate. Mm-hmm. We're just, you know what? We're going straight to Christmas, so. She doesn't even, doesn't pass go, doesn't pass Thanksgiving. What happened to the middle holiday in there? I think, uh, I think Thanksgiving is just too close to Halloween. Oh, yeah. I I wonder, I wonder if she's the person that shuts off her lights then when it's trick-or-treating time for the kids, or if she's that a-hole person that gives out, like, apples and, like, cans and toothbrush. Yeah, stupid stuff like that. What do you think, Laura? Does she try to ruin kids' holidays as well? I think she probably just turns her light out and doesn't pass out anything. They just pretend like it's a regular day, you know. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say that she's handing out, um, you know, military grade ammunitions no. to the local neighborhood <laughs> kids. Oh. Wait, that's the, that's the mom. That's that's Lori. That's not the daughter. Yeah, that's not Karen. <laughs> oh, you don't think a little bit of that rubbed off? Okay. Well, oh, we'll talk well, about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Um, yeah, for me, my, my background and my outfit, I'm an inmate. Inmate at, uh, what is it called, Lori? What is this place called? Smith's Grove. Smith's Grove. I got SG on my little shirt here. 
Greg made a comment that I look like I'm wearing a straight jacket again, but that's just my body. Um, so <laughs> it's a nice callback again. Um, yeah. So I'm just an inmate this week, you know, uh, you know, I was thinking of trying to bring in my umbrella, like that one guy who's spinning an umbrella in this movie, look like the penguin and shit, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool though. So yeah, there we go. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So let's get to what we're drinking tonight now. So, uh, let me get the drop going here. What's in the cups? Laura, what are we what are we drinking tonight, Laura? Tonight we are all drinking a gin fizz. And the reason is because the main ingredient in a gin fizz, after gin, of course, uh, are egg whites. And I did this because eggs, this movie is loaded with Easter eggs. Probably more <laughs> more Easter eggs than I have seen in maybe any other horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not Cabin in the Woods, but anyway, that's for another day. So just so many, and I can't wait to talk about all of them with you guys. And that's kind of what made me think of, it's kind of weird, but I totally thought of a gin fizz, plus they're delicious. So nice. cheers. I like it. Cheers. Nice. cheers. Nice. I like it. Cheers. Uh, yeah. So let's get to some little mm. updates before we get into a little bit more of the pod here. Um, so Laura, do you got any uh, listener comments, questions, anything like that from, from emails? I do. Uh, someone reached out on Instagram, Annie B., Actually, I'm just realizing those initials now. It's kind of a throw. It's an Easter egg in itself to Halloween. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice, <laughs> Annie B. Um, and, and she said, just finished your Halloween podcast episode. I am a huge fan and I've seen it a kajillion times. I never caught the line and then we'll take Lindsay's clothes off. Weird, crazy. So that's pretty cool that someone who is a huge fan, seen it a million times, listened to our episode and heard something new for the first time that we conjectured, you know, the fact that that line was in the movie and how off-putting it was and wondering if it was even scripted in the first place. So that's really cool. Uh, We love hearing feedback like that. So keep it coming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was crazy when we heard that. I know me and Greg heard it right away and Laura was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, that was super surprising. I think it's funny to like, look at old, you know, movie that you've seen a lot. And then when someone points out like a blooper, like a guy who's clearly just like pretending to, to sweep or someone who's just dressed in street clothes in the 17th century or something. You go, how did I not notice that before? But it's because I think after repetition, you're just looking for the same things that you've been always looking for, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. We, we love getting, you know, listener, you know, feedback, uh, whether it's, you know, positive, negative, you know, shouting out things we do. You guys can always hit us up conjecturing pod at Gmail or Twitter, Instagram at conjecturing pod. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, do we got anything we want to talk about from last week's episode? Last week we did Rob Zombie's, you know, reimagined Halloween 2007 version. Uh, I have a little thing to talk about if you guys don't have anything else. Do you guys Ooh. have anything you want to talk about? No, no, go for it. So last uh, last week uh, I was very high on Dr. Loomis in that movie. Uh, that was, uh, what is, what's, his, <laughs> what's his name, Laura? Uh, what's his name? Malcolm McDonald. Malcolm McDonald. You know, saying that I thought he really cared for Michael. He had feelings for him, this and that. Laura made the comment in the pod saying, like, you know, get back to me when you watch the sequel. So I watched the sequel and I have to say, like, (laughs) spoilers, spoilers for the 2009 Rob Zombie Halloween 2. That guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah. (laughs) He he is is such an asshole. In the sequel, it's so weird because I, I feel like I don't change my opinion from what I felt in the original movie. But the sequel to Rob Zombie's film, 
everybody is so dark and demented. They've all been through so many things that they're all twisted. But yeah, McDowell in the sequel is such an asshole. Like he clearly didn't ever care about Michael. It was all about money. But I just wanted to give Laura a shout out and say, yeah, you're right. He's an asshole in the sequel. Um, just if you put them together as one movie, he's definitely not a good guy, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, before we get into our uh, you know, kind of opening to the movie here a bit, we want to remind everybody the podcast network we're on, Slash and Cast Network, they're going to be doing a Halloween virtual convention. Uh, we actually just got done recording our little bit right before this one, so that's probably where we're a little drunk. Um, A little? uh, Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, But the convention is going to be October 30th and 31st, live on the Slash and Cast YouTube channel. Um, It's 100% free. They're going to have, you know, uh, celebrity interviews, segments. All the podcasts are providing some form of little video content, 30 to 40 minutes. So we're going to be there doing that, which is pretty cool. It was fun. Uh, We did our top five Halloween-ish characters. So if anybody's interested to hear what our top five Halloween-ish characters are, you're going to have to check it out on the network 30th and 31st. Um, so, uh, yeah, so let's get into the actual little bit of the movie here. We're doing 2018's Halloween. This is the most recent one. This is what David, uh, David Gordon Green's movie. Um, so Laura, why are we doing this movie now? Why? Why? I mean, why not? You know, this is, (laughs) I feel like like that's your answer every week for for (laughs) any of these Halloween movies. You just love them. You love them all. (laughs) I kind of do. You know, like Rob said, it's the most recent Halloween installment. We get Jamie Lee Curtis back and, you know, she's flipping the script and is a total badass. I really taking a page out of Aaron's book from your next, which I love. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you guys remember how obsessed with her I was. So Mm Um, and you know, we, I, I talk a lot about timelines in the Halloween franchise and I love how this one picks up after 40 years, right after the first one. And I think that made for a really great storyline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. Uh, it's definitely going back to John Carpenter's true, like what he thought he wanted to do with this whole franchise, yes. you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, before we get into more of the movie a bit, uh, let's do our horror segment of the week. Um, so this week, uh, Laura, let's see what Laura has this week for us. Okay, we got a question this week from Laura. All right, Laura, what's our horrorish question this week? Actually, it's questions. Oh, plural. plural. Hmm. Uh, so I am presenting a game of Would You Rather between Greg and Rob this week. And it's only five questions, so it's going to go super quick. And it, it's questions... I want to see out of all of these unfortunate situations that uh, occur in horror movies that I'm pretty sure we've seen. And if not, let me know. And then I can easily swap it out. Um, If uh, if, if any of them involve murdering someone, Greg's pro that. (laughs) So we we know his answer is going to be yes. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, And so I, I'm going to be asking, would you rather of the two situations? Obviously, I want to know why, but the little twist I am going to do with this is that I'm going to ask you guys these questions rapid fire. Um, so when I ask it, I think what I want to do is when I ask the first question, Greg, you're up, Rob, you're next. And then for question number two, Rob, you're up, Greg, you're next. And I'll keep reminding you, but I want it to go really fast. I'm going to write down what, what you guys pick. Um, and then after you answer it rapid fire, let's unpack it. And I want to see why mm. you chose that, mm-hmm. you know, over the other. And I really want to see, in my mind, you're choosing it because you think you have a better chance of survival. 
in that situation. Yeah. You know, I, I'm really interested to get in both of your psyches, you know? So it's like, it's like three, two, one answer. It's not like double jeopardy. We get a minute with some music to deliberate. It's yeah. just, okay. So for question number one, uh, Greg, I'm going to let you answer first. And as soon as I'm done with the question, I want you to answer. And as soon as you're done, Rob, you're up. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. I'm, I'm following you up. I'm right behind you, Greg. I know this is going to be really funny considering that we're kind of drunk right now. All right. I'm, br I'm breathing question. down. I'm breathing down your neck, Greg. I'm breathing down your neck. <laughs> God. Okay. All right. Question one. Let's do it. Rapid right. fire. So question one. It's going to be you, Greg, then you, Rob. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Would you rather spend your summer at Camp Crystal Lake from Friday the 13th or the cabin from the Evil Dead? Go. No. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Dishwasher. That's my answer. I haven't seen either of these movies. Okay, okay, okay. Oh my goodness. Camp Crystal Lake from Friday the 13th or The Cabin from Cabin in the Woods. Go. Uh, I'm going to say Cabin from Cabin in the Woods. All right, Rob. That's my answer. Rob's had a lot of time to think about this now. Uh, I'm doing Camp Crystal Lake. All right. All right. Number two, Rob, you're going to go first and then Greg, no pausing. <laughs> Right after, okay. I'm gonna, edit, yep. I'm gonna okay. edit. I'm gonna edit like a minute pause. <laughs> no. Okay. Ready? Would you rather be haunted by the girl from the ring or the demon from Paranormal Activity for one year? Go. The girl from the ring. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> Wait, what? That wasn't a choice. The girl from the ring. No, but it wasn't your turn. Rob was going oh. first. <laughs> You got you got me all flustered, like I'm sweating <laughs> from all that's, the stress. That's why I'm doing this. I'm just trying to add another fun layer to it. All right, Rob, what's your answer that you've got to okay, think about? Okay, this what one? are my what are my choices again? Greg threw me off. Would you rather be haunted by the girl from the ring or the demon from Paranormal Activity for a year? Uh, Paranormal Activity. Mm, all right, all right, all right, Greg, you get to go first this time. Let's see if we can get this right. Yeah, the first thir time. third time's a charm. Third time's a charm, Greg. All right, ready? Yep. Okay. Would you rather spend a week alone in a room with Annabelle or the nun? Go. Annabelle. All right. Rob? Oh, my turn. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Annabelle too. Okay. These next two get a little trickier. So really try well, to we're, stick we're, with me we're not. We're not going to do very good then because we're, we're falling apart here. <laughs> yeah. I know you really are. Okay. I should have been like, would you rather be Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger? Okay. No, anyway. I, feel, I feel like me and Greg are riding a tandem bicycle with no wheels. Like we're just, we're falling all over the place right now. We don't know what's happening. <laughs> all right. Uh, Rob, you're going to answer this question first. And then Greg, as soon as Rob answers, then you get to answer. Okay. Got it. Okay. Here we go. Would you rather be stuck inside the cell with Hannibal Lecter, but he has a weapon or stuck inside a small room with the entire family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they do not have weapons. Go. Oh my God. I'm going to say Hannibal Lecter then. All right. Greg. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter as well. All right. With the weapon. <laughs> Wait, you didn't specify what weapon? I didn't. Do we, do we get to pick like in our game? Do I get to pick a candlestick in the... Can it be just like a spoon of fava beans? We can unpack it. But the, I mean, the whole point of this question is, is that mm -hmm. it's one guy with a weapon or a whole family without. And it's like, mm -hmm. but that's yeah, a lot yeah. of people. Okay. So, all right. Okay. All, right. Um, all right. Very last question. And this one is going to go to... Uh, who am I up? Who's up Greg, first? Greg first. Greg first. Greg. This is going to go to Greg first and then Rob. Okay, so this one is a little bit longer. So just give me a second to get it all out. Okay, ready? You are in the movie Saw, but it is real life. Would you rather wake up in the reversible bear claw trap over your head, needing to find the key in another dead person's stomach, or wake up in a pit of unknown dirty needles looking for the key? Oh, bear trap, bear trap, hands down. All right, Rob? Wait, can I get the choices again? <laughs> 
just want to screw with Laura. Uh-huh. First of all, bear claw trap over your head, and you have to find the key in another dead person's stomach guts, or wake up in a pit of unknown dirty needles looking for the key. Yeah, I guess bear trap. Bear trap then. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. So uh, question number one, would you rather spend your summer at Camp Crystal Lake or from the cabin in the woods? All right. So, Greg, you said cabin in the woods. Why do you think that that is the better option here? You know, without getting into too much detail into the movies themselves, I just feel more comfortable in a cabin. I feel like I can hole up and start setting boob traps a la Macaulay Culkin, a la Laurie Strode. Um <laughs> And just and just work my way from there. I feel like, you know, when you're being hunted, when you are the prey, your best shot at survival is to hole up and start setting traps. You can't do that at a giant lake where the murderer is, you know, running free around the woods. So I'm taking the cabin. All right. And then, Rob, you said the opposite. You said Camp Crystal Lake. I pick Camp Crystal Lake uh, just because of the lake. I can go in the lake and chill. I don't think Jason can get me in the lake. He comes up out of the water. Mm, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't think so. But, uh, <laughs> Are you oh, okay. a swimmer, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay, then uh, I'm gonna. I, I mean, I, I already picked the lake, so I gotta pay it. But uh, it's yeah. just it's, it's nice scenery. It looks pretty. You know? <laughs> All right. Um, All right. I, I, I like lakes. You know, it's a good point. Got if it. your life's gonna be over, might as well you know enjoy a beautiful you know lake scenery before mm-hmm. it's over. All right. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, for one year, you would rather be haunted by the demon from Paranormal Activity versus the girl from The Ring. Why do you think that you can survive the demon from paranormal activity? Um, probably because I'm not going to have a picture of my ex on the wall at the same time. So I think mm. uh, I don't think the the demon is going to be that mad at me. I'm just going to be, you know, be like, oh, this is who I'm with. I'm not having my ex on the wall. Um, yeah. And so I don't think it's not going to be that bad. Very acceptable answer. I like that. Better, better, better than my lake answer. Yes. <laughs> OK. You, you've redeemed yourself. <laughs> OK. And then, Greg, you picked the girl from the ring. I did just because I feel like she has limits. Like, you know, she crawls. She's got the hair over her head. You know, I mean, if just put a box over her and, you know, where's she going to go? <laughs> a box over her. Demon from Paranormal Activity can get into attics. He can, you know, he's invisible. I don't like the, uh, the I don't like the unseen threat. Mm. That really bugs me because I feel like, you know, you're going to be going to sleep at night. You can't see where it's coming from. You don't know when it's going to be there. At least with the ring girl, you know, you know that it's going to, she's going to pop out after you've watched the tape and then just look, put a wall between you and her and you're good. Wow. I thought you were right. say you're a hopeless romantic and you heard the ring and the lady and you got excited. <laughs> <laughs> this, we were so not in the right headspace for this game, but all right. No, no. <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. Would you rather spend a week alone in a room with Annabelle or the nun? You both picked Annabelle. And I have to say that was obviously the right answer. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do either of you want to just kind of talk about that? I, I think it's pretty obvious, but you know, you never know. Some people are afraid of dolls, so I had to ask. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just about the fact that I'm pretty sure you can, like, lock Annabelle in a closet or behind a door. I feel like you have to open the door for her to come through. I know, like, the entity is attached to the doll. But in in all the movies, I think Annabelle can't, like, just open things. I don't think so. Uh, The nun, I feel like, is an actual, like, spirit that's free to roam. So I feel like Mm. she can kind of just get you wherever the hell you're at. I don't know, Rob. They put Annabelle in a in a dumpster, and she popped up to the oh, to the true. to the door like in a minute. So <laughs> but, I don't but, know. But still had to knock. She still had to knock on the door. She still had to knock. Yeah. Maybe she's Ask just pol- maybe she's just polite. She has manners. So maybe that's why. Okay. But nuns nice. don't have manners. I don't know. Maybe not, not this nun. Not, not this nun. Not, not that nun. That's none none your business. That's that's what she is. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> yeah, I don't want any part of that. The nun is truly like. 
the most horrifying person in horror i feel like it's just it's all sorts of fucked up but uh mm-hmm. all right all right so question four would you rather be stuck inside the cell with hannibal lecter who has a weapon or stuck inside a small room with the entire family of the texas chainsaw massacre with no weapons you both actually picked in the cell with hannibal lecter even though he has a weapon i'm a little surprised so yeah greg talk about why <laughs> that was your pick uh ain't nobody want to be in a cell with those creepers like they don't have they're not armed but they'll put all kinds of things in you they're they're weird you know they're they're dangerous they they can't be reasoned with i feel like with hannibal you could at least talk to him and look he's being fed prison food right maybe he's not really he doesn't into like it. it it's not his mm-hmm. type of food it's not but i you know he's i've got the age gap on him i feel like i could take him and you didn't specify the weapon. You know, you didn't say he's got a rifle or a, or a machete. I'm going to assume he's got like a pencil. And I, I feel like I could take him. He's got a skinning device. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh what? Shit. That's gross. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. that a cheese grater? Uh, yeah, there you go. Man. Dang, I, I feel like I need to change my... Can I change my answer? Am I allowed to change my answer now? Yeah, you could change your answer. <laughs> I'm allowing it. I'm going to... I think I am going to change it because my first thought was like the... The uh, what what is the other one? The other people called the family from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, the Texas Chainsaw family. To me, their mouth are weapons. Like they're just gonna like bite the shit out of you, you know. So like I'm like they both have weapons, but I didn't really think of the fact that if you're Hannibal Lecter, you're trapped in a with a cell, right? Yeah, prison. At least cell. if you're with the family, I'm pretty sure you're just in a house, which you can get out of a house. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know how I'm gonna get out, but at least I can escape a house rather than a cell, which is built to contain you. So I think I'm going to change to Hannibal to uh, the the Texas Chainsaw family. Very logical. Okay. I like it. Mm -hmm. All right. And then I saved this question for last because I I don't even know how I would answer it. Um, But I said, would you rather wake up and be in that reversible bear claw trap over your head? And the only way to get out is to find a key, which is inside another person who is deceased in their stomach. Or to wake up in a pit of unknown, dirty needles, like swimming in them, looking for the key. Well, t- t- for me, it was just the dirty needles. I'm like, I just don't want to be. I'd rather, I'd rather have my head ripped off like quick and I die maybe quick than be like poked by needles until like I bleed out or till I, I get some random Ebola disease and my skin starts melting. Like, and I was oh. like, no, I'm like, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm probably going to die either way. I might as well go to the one that's probably going to be fast. Ah, Okay, that does make sense, actually. I wasn't thinking of the quick death aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a cakewalk for you too, Greg? Yeah, same thing. Look, I got to dig into someone's body. Okay, at least I don't have to get jabbed by, you know, a million. I remember watching that scene and I just, the hairs stood up on my entire body watching that. It was just, ugh. Yeah, that yeah. One, that, that's easy. I'll get taken out by a bear trap any day. What about, what about you, Laura? Why was this one so um, controversial? Yeah, I, this one, I actually think I would go with the needles. Really? Yes. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I know that a lot of people have a thing with needles. That's like a common phobia as it is. Yeah. Not even dirty needles. I, yeah. So I know that that's why it freaks a lot of people out. I am someone who like, I don't mind needles at all. Uh, like anytime I get my blood drawn, I watch, I don't think it's weird. I don't think it's gross. I don't think it hurts. You guys say I'm the killer. Okay. Well, (laughs) needles just, I've, they've never bothered me. I have great veins in my arms. So like doctors love me. I I don't know. And in my mind, okay. Yeah. I'm getting, 
I mean, sure. My veins, they're so great. They're so amazing. I have the greatest veins. <laughs> People like compliment my veins. Doctors do. Oh, that's, that's how you that's how you got your husband. I know. Yeah. yeah he was like, look at those sexy ass yeah, veins. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're we're getting really off track here. Uh <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, yes, if they're dirty, they probably do have diseases. And that is obviously not ideal. But I think in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get poked a few times. Might be a little bit painful. You know, if I get the key, I'll get out of there. I can go to the hospital and be like, I've been exposed to all these needles. Put some antibiotics in me. I don't know. Antiviral shit. I just like the the bear claw trap ripping Mm -hmm. your top jaw and your bottom jaw and just ripping your head apart and the fact that you have to dumpster dive into someone's fucking stomach i no it's just i can't do it I mean, we know greg's cool with oh. that he does that every other sunday like it's not a big deal you know <laughs> <laughs> you know it'd be, it'd be a little challenging for me but yeah you know i'd still rarely take that thing getting poked i don't have good veins so no doctor has ever complimented by usually they're like hey fat guy we can't find shit oh my god so. <laughs> So, yeah, that, nobody's liking my veins. So, yeah, I'm definitely not picking that. All right. I like it. All right. Yeah. So those are my questions. Good job, you guys. That was really interesting. Nice. I feel nice. like I got a true peek into the inside of your guys' psyche. Oh, there. I like that. Insides are insides. I like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I felt I felt like by the fifth question, we, me and Greg finally got how this game worked, and then we we actually knew how to answer. Yeah, that right. uh, was funny. Yeah, so it, made it really simple. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it, it was actually very simple, Laura. It's our fault. Um, yeah, so if anybody wants to email us in, let us know what choices they would make between those five scenarios. Uh, you can hit us up conjecturingpod at Gmail or Twitter, Instagram at conjecturingpod. All right, let's keep going to the movie now. Uh, so now it's time to let's open the kitchen bunker. Let's open that kitchen bunker up. Um, and get to the movie this week. So like we said, we're doing uh, 2018's Halloween. Director is David Gordon Green. Uh, also written what he wrote it with Danny McBride at the same time. Yeah. Which was crazy. I remember hearing when they announced Danny McBride and David Gordon Green are going to do this. And I was like, wait, what? I'm like the comedy guys. Like, I mean, like Laura even put on here too was something I knew that David Gordon Green, he directed Pineapple Express I mean, him and him and Danny McBride go back to they did Eastbound and Down together. I think he might have directed some of the episodes they did. Uh, the, was it Vice, Vice Principals with Danny McBride? So like, oh, they did, nice. So, so they have show. a really good comedic connection. So, but still, like when you hear they're doing the Halloween movie, you're like, what? Yeah. But yeah, when you read more interviews, you just realize how much they loved the franchise, and you know, and just seeing like what they want to do, and they had an awesome take. That not only, you know, the producers of this show, the of this movie love, John Carpenter himself loved it enough to come back on board. So it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so the budget of this movie was 10, uh, 10 to 15 million dollars. Box office was 255 million dollars. So this talk about cleaned up at the box office like this made this made all the monies. This made yeah. every money that came out that year. <laughs> Yeah, all, no. the I mean, all, all the monies, all the monies, yeah, everything. So we're definitely so getting crazy. like a Halloween all the way up to like two thousand five hundred. I mean, it's just going to go on and on, won't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Laura, do you want to do some interesting facts? Yeah. Uh, okay. So right off the bat, I'm going to touch on something that Rob just said. Uh, John Carpenter, he did not want to be involved in really any of the Halloween sequels after the original. However, everyone would still kind of pitch the ideas to him, which I think he appreciated. And when he heard the pitch for this Halloween sequel, he actually loved it so much that he did kind of come back on board, helped with scene ideas. He also composed the music with his son, Cody Carpenter, and his godson, Daniel Davies. 
So I mm. thought that was a really cool fact. Um, also, Nick Castle, he is the original actor behind Michael in 1978. He actually does a few scenes in this one, and he does all of the takes with the breathing sounds. Wow. So that's him breathing, and that mm. he's, you know, the original one. Uh, I thought that was awesome. And then, yeah, I mean, uh, $255.5 million. Uh, Halloween 2018 was the biggest horror movie opening with a female lead. It was the biggest movie opening with the female lead over 55 and just biggest opening for any of the Halloween franchise films. So, you know, wow. pretty, pretty big. That's huge. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it took every money, every money from that year it got. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> every money's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Laura, do you want to do cast too? Yeah, so main cast, um, the person who was mostly behind Michael Myers is James Jude Courtney. We've got Jamie Lee Curtis back as our Laurie Strode. Judy Greer, who I love, is Karen Nelson or Karen Strode. We have Will Patton. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. Mothman. He's a Mothman. Yeah, yeah, he is in Mothman. So mm-hmm. he's Deputy Hawkins. Uh, apologies if I say this incorrectly, but you have Haluk. Bill Jenner. Yeah. Bill Jenner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is Dr. Sartain, Michael's new doctor, who is also a student of Loomis, or as Lori calls him, New Loomis. Yeah, New Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Andy Matichak as Allison Nelson, who is Lori Strode's granddaughter. Nice, nice. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good cast. I mean, the fact that they brought back Jamie Lee is like super cool. You know, I mean, yeah. I think I think I read something too. Same thing with John Carpenter. Right when she heard the pitch and she read the script, she was like, "I'm in." You know, she's like, "This is really cool. This is something different." You know, she gets to be way badass in this movie. So yeah, 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 it's really cool. Yeah. Um, do you want to do synopsis, Laura? Yeah. So it's been forty years since that fateful Halloween night, nineteen seventy-eight, in Haddonfield. Um, at the time, Michael, 21 years old, you know, escaped from the institution that he had been at since he was six um, and had kind of set his eyes on Lori Strode. And after murdering many people um, and attempting to murder her, he was reinstitutionalized. So now we are 40 years later. Michael Myers is 61 years old. He escapes again and he is coming back to finish the job on Lori Strode. However, this time she is ready for him. Mm-hmm. Did, so did, he, did he escape or was he let loose? That's one of the questions I'm going to ask you guys a little bit. Ooh, later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. That is a good question. Yeah. So do you want to take over here, Laura? Kind of run over the show? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let's just start with the opening. I feel like there's a lot to even unpack in the opening. Um, Greg, do you want to kind of kick it off with the opening? Yeah, before the movie even starts, I have to say I love the intro to this movie. So it starts off, you know, first of all, you have the the OG, like, dull orange uh, credits. The the names are popping up. And then you've got this, like, uh, spoiled, smushed pumpkin that kind of, um, they've got it. It looks like the film was reversed somehow to where it goes from a spoiled pumpkin over yeah. time to a fresh new. Well, it's actually more of like a jack-o'-lantern, rather, not a pumpkin. And... That just instantly makes you think, okay, well, it's like re- resurrecting Michael Myers or resurrecting the franchise. That's that's the first thing I got. And then, you know, toward the end of the credits, it kind of zooms in to the center of the jack-o'-lantern. And the way that the eye and the nose is kind of cut out, it looks like Michael Myers with the knife. It's just artistically, that first few minutes was genius. Mm-hmm. Absolutely genius. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I read that's exactly what they did with the pumpkin. They put a camera on a fresh pumpkin and let the camera just film for like two weeks, 
and just let the let the pumpkin dissolve away and then they right. reverse and they reverse the frames uh for the for the event yeah yeah well what's cool about it is that exact jack-o-lantern you know even with like the little cut in the lip that was exactly what it looked like with halloween 1978's intro oh, that is mm-hmm. what the jack-o-lantern looked like exactly mm-hmm. yeah um Rob, what about like the, uh, you know, the intro with the true crime journalists and kind of seeing where Michael's at, you know, you got the background going right now of the, mm-hmm. of Smith's Grove. Yeah. The, the podcasters. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I thought it was just so funny that like we do a podcast and then of course these guys like are, are they doing their, their, their true crime or whatever, making a murderer podcast, you know, at first, you know, they, they show up there, they're, they're doing, they're documenting what's going on with Michael, this transfer, you know, they're, they're, they say that they do, you know, they look at old murders and try to like see different takes on them and stuff like that. But it was funny when, like, when they talk into the actual microphone themselves, the way they talk was like the typical podcast voice. You know what I mean? Like very reserved, like, hello, you know, like we are going into the meadow today, you know, and it's just like that way. And it just made me think like, we do not sound like that as podcasters. us. So, so right away I put in my notes, like they're fucking podcasters. I fucking do it. And then eventually when they reveal that they do it, I'm like, of course they are, you know, but it's cool. It's a good, it's a good spin. It's modern, you know, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, but I love the actual like opening of like the, the asylum, you know, the inmates just setting up like the derangement of these people. I thought was really cool. I really like the fact that they have all the, the inmates like in an open yard getting their fresh air time and they're chained to like the floor like dogs. You know, I thought it was like really fucking crazy and cool. It made so much sense, though. You know, they have a, a certain amount of length in their chain. They have a yellow box that, you know, you can't go closer because the chain that's as far as it goes. So I thought yeah. it was really cool. And then, of course, seeing the mask for the first time again and just how like worn out and broken it is. Is so cool. It's a really good like opening to this movie that like sets you on a good journey. I totally agree. I love the opening. I think it's super artistic, even just like the ground, the checkered red and white boxes, the fact that they are in their little yellow boxes. And then even after he, um, the podcaster, whatever his name is, Aaron, I think, even after he takes the mask out, you know, all the other inmates are screaming from Mm. their perspective boxes Mm. but not michael you know he senses it he feels it but he doesn't even react he stands still but i have to ask you guys i was already yelling during the scene because first of all you know the guy that is working at the asylum he's like don't step near or on the yellow line did you notice that the guy aaron his toe totally Mm-hmm. Those on the, I was like, ah, you're literally almost in the yeah. box, man. I, I know, I know nobody's not going to get this reference, but we, me and Greg play basketball. And when Greg <laughs> shoots free throws, for some reason, he puts his toe over the line and me and my buddies have to call him out every fucking time. So Greg is definitely this fucking podcaster that sticks. I'm that guy. <laughs> oh yeah. It's God. where you start the motion of your shot. Um, <laughs> Oh my god. I don't I was like I was yelling about that and then and in a good way yelling and not like oh I hate this movie. I I love this movie. But mm. uh also just the fact that why the hell did you bring the mask? Why are you like showing him the mask? Why do you have the mask so close to him? I mean, I just was like, "Oh my god, these guys are so stupid." I think in the beginning you know these these guys are goners, right? Like how stupid can you be? I think I think pretty much, you know, for me this podcaster guy and the new Dr. Loomis, they are like exactly the same mindset. 
they're trying to push Michael to a breaking mm-hmm. point to yeah. see what happens, you know, not ever thinking like, should they, you know, like they just mm. want to get, they want to get what they want to get out of it. And they don't give a shit whatever happens. Like you said, when the other inmates were screaming, you know what it reminded me of was 28 days later where you have like a jailhouse full of animals or even other inmates. And they're all like banging at the, at the jail cell bars or the animals mm-hmm. are like, rattling their cages and like because they're freaking out that the main prime animal like the alpha animal is being like you know attacked or it's being released or it's about to strike and that's what it really reminded me of i thought that was a really cool thing they did oh it's a hundred percent animalistic i mean like i said they literally have them on chains like dogs like you know i think when you're that psychotic and insane you're going to such a basic primal way of living your life that you are resorting to your animalistic tendencies 100%. That's all you have left there. So it makes so much sense that these people would feel that like an animal would feel like an intruder. It makes so much sense that they did that. Yeah, it's actually really crazy. Yeah. Okay, and then keeping with the with the opening, how did you guys feel when you were first shown Lori and her, her lifestyle at the time? How, what did you think about that, Rob? Um, I thought it was actually really cool. It's actually so interesting coming off doing our conjecture ween where we've been watching all these Halloween movies and, you know, we can't help but compare or contrast like certain things, certain, you know, aspects from each other. I mean, definitely you're going to be comparing the OG to this movie, but also at the same time, I'm somewhat kind of comparing it to Rob Zombies a bit. You know, <laughs> the fact that, you know, Lori and Rob Zombies was so broken and destroyed from what happened to her. And it's very similar to this movie showing Lori you know, 40 years later from what happened to her and just how like it ruined like her psyche, you know, it ruined her mind. It made her scared of everything, but at the same time, not just scared, but also like, you know, more aggressive, assertive, more, you know, preparing for the worst, you know, not ever seeing like the happiness in anything again, but it's totally understandable. I mean, like, I think the new Dr. Loomis states at one point in this, Mm -hmm. when a certain tragic event happens, you either revert to you know kind of like back to normal and you're kind of like blocking it out like a lot of people do or you're mm-hmm. going the opposite way and you're fully engulfed to this for the rest of your life and and so it was super realistic i thought which i think was one of the reasons why jamie lee curtis really chose to do this movie because it was real it was accurate and it was something we've never seen you know this type of persona before on screen very like you know uh, troubled very you know it's like yeah she's like the hero of this movie but at the same time like she has baggage and that's something that's super cool to like deal with a real life situation totally what about you greg what do you think about that yeah i i agree with all of that you know it's one thing to survive i think a situation like that but it's you know to where maybe the the guy that's locked up is is in jail forever or maybe he's dead or he's passed on but in this movie, Michael Myers still lives and he's still supernatural. What do you think that's like for Lori? You know, remember when they were saying, oh, he's being transferred. She goes, oh, yeah, tomorrow at 7 a.m. Like she, she's keeping tabs on yeah. his status at all times. Like that must be that's crazy making to like think that your life is revolving around an inmate, you know, hundreds of miles away locked up. So that's insane. Um and I think, yeah, Rob, what you said was right. It There's kind of a theme of like what trauma does to you and like the impact it has on your life. Like I probably the worst trauma I've ever experienced is just having, 
you know, like in terms of being violated in some way is just having my things broken into, like my car broken into, number mm-hmm. of times things being stolen from me. That's the worst that it's got for me. And I can tell you even something small as that and minor as that impacts you. You mm-hmm. become paranoid. You know, you lock your car every time everybody that you look at is, looks like somebody that uh, could potentially steal from you. So imagine if you survive a situation where your life is at risk or the people around you were killed and you made it. Um, so her portrayal was was just spot on. And, and it was like the direction that you said, Rob, where she took it to the, the opposite way. She decided to do something about it and become hard and become a badass mm-hmm. and you know defensive. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you put booby traps in your car, Greg? Or trap somebody in and burn them alive? Oh my god, I did stuff. I won't even talk about it on this pod, but I I <laughs> I did some stuff. Yeah. Oh my god, let's not forget to ask him when this is over. Yeah, we'll, we'll eventually uh, put it put it uh, put it out there one day when we get Patreon. We can put it on the conjecturing after dark. Yeah. Oh my god, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of follow up with what you guys are saying, I think this goes right into just talking about the characters and the acting. And I got to say, just off the bat, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, we've kind of already brought this up as far as her character and her acting, but really amazing. I mean, night and day, how she was 40 years ago at 1978, you know, she was kind of naive. She was the quote unquote smart girl who didn't really date. Um, And now she's just this. Well, first of all, she's agoraphobic. Seems like the only time she does leave the house is to track Michael. She knows everything about him. She knows everything there is to know about survival and how to use every weapon under the sun and how to make her house like a safe house and a trap. Um, I just thought that was so good. And Jamie Lee Curtis just nails it. I think she just nails it. I mean, oh, my God, it was so it's so incredible. So do you guys want to kind of talk about either more about Jamie Lee Curtis or maybe um, call out some other characters or acting? You definitely have to talk about Jamie real quick. You know, it's like, yeah, she's so good in this movie. So I mean, like you said, the polar opposite of who she was in the original movie. I mean, she was a, she was a child in the original. Yeah. movie. She was a child. And now she's, you know, a grizzled old veteran. She doesn't take shit from anybody and and she's going to like do what she has to do to not only make herself safe, but, you know, she she sadly risks a lot of things to make sure her family is safe. Yes. You know, and, and how far she would go to do certain things for her family, you know, crossing certain lines for to her daughter and the state and stuff like that is just crazy to think. And I mean, like I, I wouldn't say like I would probably maybe do the same thing. I don't know. But that's just like so crazy. But Jamie Lee pulls it off flawlessly in this movie. Like you don't ever once think like, oh, it's not the same character. You know what I mean? And I think that's the biggest thing you're trying to take away from this is like, you know, yes, she's a great actress. But like, do you feel this is Laurie Strode, you know, 40 years later? And mm-hmm. totally, you totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you absolutely do. She's the best thing about this movie. And like you said, Rob, it's the continuity of like, you know, like this movie wipes away every movie before except for the first one so knowing that you can't help but imagine who she was in the first one and who she is now and imagine okay well in 40 years time who might that person be and she portrays mm-hmm. it perfectly when the two journalists roll up to her house start you know picking and prodding at her history she kind of goes she lets them in she accepts her three thousand dollar payment which is hilarious <laughs> and she barely tells them anything and she's like there's nothing to learn from this you know i think there was an opportunity for her to be over the top and like a 
a Sarah Connor, like, you know, crazy Rambo type. And she didn't do that. She was, like you said, Rob, like a, like a grizzled old vet, like within her capacity, within her age, what was she able to do? How was she able to mold her life knowing that Michael Myers might one day come back after? And from the beginning of the movie to the end, it was, th- that was perfect. There was one scene where, so Judy Greer, Karen, I guess she walks into the house and she notices that the door was ajar. And, uh, and she, and Lori comes down and she goes, gotcha. Like pointing at her with like a, like a finger gun. She goes, you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> you're yes. dead. I love that line. I love that, it too. It's so perfect. <laughs> it, it's like the, like the Jedi. It's like saying, have you forgotten everything that I've taught you? Yeah. You know, and she doesn't do it in a very ham-fisted way. It's just so perfect because then she moves on to the next thing. You know, you got to find your daughter. You have to like hide. You have to, you know, it was, it was perfect. That's yeah. amazing. That's that's I was totally going to call out that same scene. It was one of my favorite. And I like you said, I just felt like it was done. She's so genuine in that moment. Like, well, you fucked up there. You know, yes. <laughs> so great. So kind of talking about her daughter. Uh, how did you guys feel about her daughter, Karen? Rob, like, what did you think of that character? I thought, I thought it was fine. I really wanted her name to be Jamie, though. Like, it, oh. I thought, like, I know you're you're taking away all the continuity from the other movies, but like for for how many Easter eggs this fucking movie has, like mm-hmm. you couldn't have added one more egg to that mix and just made her Jamie. I read too that the original first script, her name was Jamie. They don't really ever say why they changed the name. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, but that was one thing when I was like, oh, her name's not Jamie. But but as far as the actress and what she did, I thought she was solid. I thought she was solid in this movie. I thought for for what she needs to do in this movie and trying to portray a very like troubled relationship with her mother. I thought it was pretty spot on the couple of scenes where she's like lie, literally lying to her own daughter, you know, Mm -hmm. Lori's granddaughter about like talking to her. I thought it was really great. Like you could see on her face, she's lying. And, and and to see that, I was like, Oh, that's really good. So I thought she was solid in this movie. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Greg? You're shaking. You're like, praise Jesus right now. over there. I have nothing to add. (laughs) Everything Rob said was exactly what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, obviously, Jamie Lee is just so badass. She's the boss ass bitch of this film. But <laughs> I got to say, I clearly I came dressed as her. Um, we're not there yet. We'll talk about the ending when we get there. But mm-hmm. I thought Karen's character and just the progression of what you see from her and then in comparison to how she is in the end. Mm. Oh, my God. Flawless for me, you guys. I just I. I thought she was amazing. And then moving on, I actually, I do like her daughter. So uh, Laurie Strode's granddaughter, Allison, I thought she was great too. I thought she was very likable. I thought she was smart. You know me, I like to call out when I feel like you're writing smart women in a script. And I think that this movie had them all. I mean, that's, you know, they all, they all knew what to do. And I thought the acting there was great. Do you guys have any call outs as far as that actress or Allison and any scenes that she had? Um, I mean, I mean, just the, you know, like you said, I mean, it's so natural. This young actress that plays the granddaughter, she did seem very natural in all the scenes. You never, I never once thought she was overacting at all. Mm-hmm. I, I never once thought like, Oh, this character wouldn't say that, you know, the granddaughter wouldn't say that, you know, she clearly loves her grandma. She loves, you know, Lori. She the most sympathizes with what she's went through, but at the same time is still trying to kick her grandma in the butt of like, you need to move on. Mm-hmm. What about you, Greg? How did you like Allison's character? I thought the the, the three primary female actresses in, in this movie were the were the best actors, uh, especially like, like you said, uh, Andy Matichek. 
Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on in this movie, and and if you're her, you have to imagine that it's it's tough to play so many roles. Like you're a friend, you're also a girlfriend, you're also a daughter, you're all, you're the granddaughter, you're, and she's um a victim, <laughs> a victim. There's so many yeah. different hats that she has to put on, and um that sounds difficult, but she handles the whole thing pretty gracefully, and I I didn't see any slip ups, and she like she handled you know her her job in this movie really well. Yeah, I agree. I have to point out that. So obviously, when we're watching this movie, we're waiting for the scene when Laurie Strode's character and Michael Myers see each other for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you guys all remember that scene. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh my God, it's so powerful. I think it said a lot when I had that same feeling when Allison, Mm -hmm. Laurie's granddaughter, who has never seen or met Michael Myers, she also has that scene where she runs into him for the first time mm-hmm. and it is so effective. It's like she knows who he is and she knows what he means mm-hmm. for that family. And just like the emotions and just the looks that she's giving. I, I was like, this was almost more like the like the hairs on my arms raised higher with this scene than it did when Laurie and Michael saw each other for the first time. That's a great point. I mm. really felt that moment because it's like yes. I imagine not having gone through it, but like this is the story that your family has told you over and over and over again. And suddenly this mythical figure is has come to life. And in the same scene, her friend is is has been killed and he's hanging yeah. on the gate and Michael Myers <laughs> is right there. Like, the horror in her scream was so genuine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really cool that something we've heard a lot about in past episodes and something they've, you know, John Carpenter wanted to do, but they didn't let him was, you know, kind of make Michael Myers more of a, you know, like a ghost or the actual boogeyman. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie does it really well with the granddaughter, because like you said, she's never met him before. She's only heard the tales. So the fact that like when she actually gets to see him for the first time, it's like super powerful because it's like she's been hearing these like monstrous things. She he is the boogeyman. He is not like a real figure yet in her life. He's just a figment of her imagination. And when she actually sees him, it's like super, super powerful. Yeah, totally. All right. Let's let's talk about Michael. Rob, I want to hear I want to hear your thoughts about this new Michael Myers here. Yeah, um, this this is more or less you want to call him a new Michael, a different Michael, a reimagined Michael whatever he he's he's very true to the original which i think is like the main thing i i convey in this movie so much is that these guys you know david gordon green and and danny mcbride like you know really wanted to make like a direct sequel to the original you know down to like michael himself his mannerisms, the way he moves. He doesn't have fucking giant shoulder pads like they did in fucking Halloween 4, which is so stupid. You know, the mask itself looks fucking awesome. Um, the And I think it's kind of cool, like you said, Laura, the fact that they have like a new actor portraying Michael, which I know that he, you know, studied under Nick Castle, stay, saying that like Nick Castle kind of gave him some pointers. He definitely reviewed all the previous uh, in- incarnations of you know himself in this movie. Um, and then also, like, I, I read something that he actually went and, like, did a lot of research into killers and people with, like, mental disabilities that had been dormant for a long time and, like, what that would do to, like, atrophy or, like, mm-hmm. what would that do to their bodies and, like, how ferocious they would be if they ever got out. So, like, he did a lot of research, this actor now, that I thought was really cool and really well done that really 
came off so perfectly for this quote unquote new Michael in this mm-hmm. movie. You know, I think he does a great job. And the, just the fact that you have Nick Castle doing the breathing, I think, I think to me, that was what like put it over the top was yeah. almost to the fact of like, I totally feel like we said, you feel that Laurie Strode is this Laurie Strode from the original. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the first Halloween I've watched since we reviewed all these where we're like, I feel like this is Michael. Like this mm-hmm. is the OG. This is the continuation of this character. The other movies we watched, there's always something a little bit off that somebody tried mm-hmm. to tweak or somebody thought like this would be a new spin we can do. But this is the first time where they actually went back to the original and this worked so well. I really liked the Michael overall. Yeah. What did you think, Greg? To me, he was the scariest of all the movies. Mm-hmm. And in, in some ways, I think scarier than the, the original to me. I I really loved his mask was, was great. It was grimy. You can see it in my background here. It's got scratches, wrink, wrinkles. It's it, it kind of personifies his old age now because he's what, 40, 50, 60? He's 61. Old. He's 61, mm-hmm. which that in itself makes it so menacing. The fact that you have a 61-year-old guy with juggernaut strength it it, it it adds this different feel to it. It's like, okay, he's really this insane, evil being. Um, and then the way that I think some of the camera work follows Michael around, you know, when you see him, when Laurie sees him for the first time, right, he's in a window in, in the second floor of a house. And the way that he just, he, he walks kind of like uh, upright and he just lumbers. And it's very true to the original and the way that he goes from uh, across the the visual space of a window and then down the stairs, just not that he's taking his time, but that n- he just knows that nothing can stop him, that he's just going to kill w- was so scary. And then when he starts going through the neighborhood that I haven't seen a lot of the other movies like you guys have. So I don't know if this is the first time that it was done, but it seemed like it was to where you had that camera shot sort of over his shoulder or behind him and walk, watching him just make his way through the neighborhood and just start killing people. And it was like nothing to him. Mm-hmm. And he just did it so mindlessly. And it was there was no second thought to it, it seemed. And to me, he, he was the scariest Michael Myers of all the mo- other movies. Mm-hmm. Did anybody notice like the butcher knives used in this movie were like enormously big? Like they should have been like something you get at like a carnival. They were so giant. I didn't notice it. You didn't notice it? How giant the butcher knife was? Like she's I mean, cut, she's cutting like a whole fucking watermelon with one swipe like it's a samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that either. I didn't notice it, but actually now that you say that, you know, the the scenes where Michael is able to stab like a dude to a wall. Yeah, yeah. I think we've actually have we talked about this in previous episode. I I know that it, I noticed in this one that when they zoomed in, there was almost like a gap between the guy, the knife, the wall. Hmm. And I'm like, man, that must have been a really long ass knife for it to go through your body, then have a gap, then into the wall enough to hold your dead weight up. I mean, yeah. that's it's got to. You're right. That's like a samurai sword. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was really weird. Like, there's there's certain shots where it's like, wow, that that knife is too big. It's insane. It's yeah. like a, it's a comical knife. Like, what is happening here? You know? Yeah, Greg. I wanted to ask you a question. So one of our running things that we talk about is how he gets from point A to point B. We made a big joke about it in our last week's episode. Do you feel like in this movie, even though we still don't see him technically get from point A to point B, 
Do you feel like they did it so, at least, okay, this is my opinion. They did it so well. I feel like I'm not questioning how he got places. I feel like scenes that were connecting other scenes were the right length to where it made sense. And I, I totally want to know if that, I, I, I feel 100%. like if I were watching from your eyes, I would uh -huh. be like, yes. Yes, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> that that scene where she first turns the corner and shoots him with the rifle and she's kind of distracted and he, he turns the corner of the house and they lose track of him. It makes sense. You know, he kind of uses the, the shadows to his advantage. And mm -hmm. he the only time that you see him actually use speed is where he tries to ambush her in the, at, at the end, mm -hmm. you know, in the room with all of the, the mannequins. And that's the fastest you actually see him move, it seems. Yeah, but it's it's in a very small, confined space. But other than that, you just see him just kind of moving from point A to point B and they actually show it and they film it and it's totally believable. So, yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of love that about this. I, I also love how, you know, Michael is actually being hunted in the end mm -hmm. by Lori. Yeah. And I love how some shots are showing him confused where did Lori go where where did karen and allison go you know he's kind of there's a single moment where he's looking around mm. and i think it's really interesting because normally in every other horror movie i've seen where you see that side of a killer you're no, no longer scared right it takes out all of that fear yet i feel like they did such a good job in this film where i was still afraid of him i still think he's scary michael myers but i loved also being able to see that side so they really nailed that balance i felt like really good point Laura, because i i didn't think about that at all in this movie the fact that yeah showing the the fact that michael is being hunted or michael is being you know led to where he needs to be you know, yeah. not by his own decision, by where Lori wants him to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's let's get into, the, I think, the biggest part of this review and this episode. And that's going to be what we keep talking about, the Easter eggs. The Not only the comparisons to the original, which there are so many, to the 1978, but also, even though we are supposed to forget about all the other sequels in the franchise... They do truly throw out an Easter egg to all of the movies. And so I'd love you guys to kind of call out what you saw, any comparisons, what you think might be Easter eggs. And then I can kind of fill in the gaps because I have a mm -hmm. huge list. I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I got like maybe the most obvious ones then because maybe I didn't get like a call out to H2O. Like, I don't know what that would be, you know, but, uh, but I definitely, you know, my, the first one I noted down, cause I watched this movie twice. I watched this mm -hmm. movie twice. One, because it's really well done. And two, just because like, I know there was so many Easter eggs. I want to make sure I go back and get them all jotted down. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the first ones I noticed was the scene where, uh, the granddaughter was Allison. I don't want to keep saying granddaughter. Yeah. Allison, Allison. Yeah. is inside the school. And yeah. it's exactly yes. the same, exactly the same shot of Lori in her classroom. She's in the back corner. And mm -hmm. she looks outside and in the original, it's Michael standing there. And then this one, it's Laurie standing there. And that's a running theme with this whole movie is reversing what happened in the original, but making Laurie be the one that's doing it. And every yep. time, every time they did it, it like made my heart flutter. It was like so <laughs> awesome. You know, like one, I talked a little bit, you know, about comparing this somewhat to Rob Zombie because he kind of does do a reimagining and he has a lot of Easter eggs in that movie to the original, I think the biggest difference is this movie, they do it with a twist. And I think the twist, mm. the twist is what you love. 
you don't want to see the exact same scene. Like if it would have just been Michael standing there, it would have been like, oh, cool. Nice, nice Easter egg. But the fact that it's it's a call out, but it's Laurie makes you like it even more because it's like, wow, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other one I called out, of course, Laurie talked about it, the sheet gag. You know, the sheet gag when the, when the babysitter gets killed and Michael puts the sheet over the babysitter, cuts the holes in the head again. You know, this movie, it was not like a random boyfriend making that sheet. So he cut those eyes out. He cut those eyes out with a butcher knife in this one. Um, you know, that's a cool call out. Did you guys notice? Too, I wanted to ask you, did you guys notice that Michael put the pumpkin inside the fish tank? Yeah. Yeah. Next to her. <laughs> that's a dick like, move. Yeah, it was so <laughs> Yeah. Like why on top of everything would you do yeah. that? I kept thinking to myself, like, like, like a behind the scenes footage of like Michael putting in and he's like chuckling to himself, like, oh, like, <laughs> like this is gonna be funny. Cause like why why would you do that? It's so weird. But but yeah, yeah. The, the sheet gag is a good call. I love that one. Um st- stabbing the boyfriend against the wall yeah. is another great call out to the OG original one. That's a good call out um another one when you're getting towards the end of the movie of course you have when Lori falls off the roof herself yeah you mm-hmm. know then you have the whole thing where michael looks back and she's gone now i love it yeah That's a great one. and then i think my favorite one and it might be my favorite scene in this whole movie is the end of this movie when they're like trying to beat the shit out of michael myers and you think Lori's gone and Lori's face appears behind him out of the darkness yep out of the shadows. Great yep. call back to the original and him in the door frame. And she comes out like that was just epic. Like, I feel like if this movie would have been complete garbage, that scene alone would have been like, I give you three stars. Yeah. Just such a great fucking scene. I love that one. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got, Laura. I don't know what other ones you got. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to do these really quick, but I really feel like these need to all be mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's so big. So yeah, I think Rob, you called out like the big, big east mm. main ones um more from the original halloween you have the haddonfield stroll the three uh teenagers that are walking uh, down the street one of them mm-hmm. being allison and yeah. you know her friend her friend's boyfriend um going back to the classroom scene you don't actually see the teacher but you hear the voice that voice is none other than pj souls who plays linda from the original halloween which one was linda is that the one that went cross-eyed the booby one. <laughs> oh, the boobies Mm-hmm. I think she did go. Yeah, they both went cross eyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking okay. Uh, okay. Do you guys remember the scene where Allison is out to dinner with her parents and her boyfriend Cameron? And the dad mentions something about how Cameron's dad was like troubled or something. His name was Lonnie, I believe. Yeah, so I, I saw on peyote and they were smoking. I, I, it out I wrote the this one down too, Laura. Like I figured this one out too. I didn't put it in the things, but it's supposed to be what? It's supposed to be Lonnie from the original movie, right? Yeah. So when Tommy Doyle is getting bullied, Lonnie is the main kid bullying him. That's mm-hmm. Cameron's dad, which I think is great because it just kind of takes, not only is it a big Easter egg, but it also just shows you, and I know this is one of our gripes, that these families just fucking live and stay in Haddonfield. No one moves out. You know, they're all connected. So I thought that was um, a really cool call yeah. out. If, if you remember too, Lonnie is also the one that the original Dr. Loomis yelled at to get away from the house. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was Lonnie! like, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, Rob, I'm actually really surprised that you didn't mention this one, but in this movie, Lori Strode refers to Michael Myers as the shape. She says it out loud 
which is the first time it's actually spoken out loud in a movie, even though that's how Michael is credited in the original Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I think he's credited in this one too, right? As a shape, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. the fact that she says it, she, she says, says it, it at that dinner scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's a bunch of other small ones. Just the fact that there's a Halloween dance, you know, that was the same as the original. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where the inmates are all kind of roaming the streets in the dark mm-hmm. at night. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, this was the first Halloween movie to actually have Michael kill a young kid. That yeah. was a little that was a little shocking, but in that scene, the kid's death is pretty much exactly the same as Annie's death, getting, you know, really? like strangled in a car. Hmm. So wow. as much as I didn't love to see that, I was happy that at least his death wasn't in vain, quote unquote, like it was an Easter egg in yeah, itself. They, they they traded a child's death for an animal death. There's no animals in this movie, but a child dies. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. I didn't even yeah. think about that. But like we they're like we gotta kill something innocent. It can't be a dog anymore. We gotta do a kid. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, And then again, they say they when they talk about his murders from the first one, they say he was the one behind the babysitter murders. And I don't know if you guys read this, but that was actually what Halloween, the original was supposed to be called. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. supposed to be called the really? babysitter murders, but then they changed it later to Halloween because they wanted to have it come out closer to Halloween. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. shocking title. Yeah, I know. <laughs> totally. But it also makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think the only other one, Laura, that I, I did write down that I didn't really call out was the whole conversation with the Annie and her two friends about asking her, like, hey, wasn't Michael your grandma's brother? And they have a whole line of saying, like, no, like, that was just something people made up to make themselves feel better, they think. Kind of like taking that out of the storyline, which I thought was a nice touch. I think it was needed because I think um, I actually going back to what you said about Karen not being named Jamie. I think the, uh, the choice behind it was so that people wouldn't get confused with those sequels that they're trying to completely discount. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's another one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, the whole fact that they show the graveyard scene with Judith yep. Myers is, headstone Mm -hmm. so those are all kind of from the original but there are actually slight easter eggs from all the other sequels so if you guys are down i can go through them really quick all right so the easter egg from halloween 2 we have a lady in the robe who gets killed and we have uh, a lady who's on the phone learning about the murders who then michael goes into the house and kills them that is a direct two scenes from halloween 2 from halloween 3 season of the witch we have a real quick scene where young kids are shown running around in the same silver shamrock masks from halloween 4 we have almost scene by scene the exact same way he gets his outfit from the garage from halloween 5 we have a couple we have the fact that allison has another shitty ass boyfriend who cheats on her uh we have the two quote-unquote comedy cops again and we also have a very quick head honk scene where someone's head hits the steering wheel. From Halloween 6, the twist that Dr. Wynn, who's the chief administrator of Smith Grove Sanitarium where Michael spent his childhood, has actually been evil all along. And in this one, we've got Dr. Sartain willing to murder police officers to keep Michael on the streets. From H2O, we have the dirty bathroom gas station scene. Also, one of Lori's taglines in H2O, which gets brought out multiple times in this, is do as I say. And also the fact that Lori loves pounding some red wine. From Resurrection, I think because that is probably the worst Halloween movie in the franchise, there's a scene where Aaron, the journalist, he makes eye contact with an old lady in a resurrection church van. From Zombies First, there is also the dirty bathroom and pretty much the entire truck stop garage scene again. And then from Zombies sequel, 2009, uh, there's a scene where two young boys bump into Michael and one actually says, are you a giant? And then also there's a major head stomping kill, which they totally took and have in this one as well. Woo! Wow. Good, good job, Laura. Fast. Good job. Good job, Laura. Wow. So many. So Drink many some ideas. water. 
Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, maybe I should drink some water. <laughs> That's funny. <sighs> All right. Um, how about the directing of this film? Do you guys have any uh, scenes you want to call out? Rob, you're like our our guru of directed shots. It, it's like you're like I could go on for three hours. <laughs> there's there, it, it's like this hour. This whole movie is like an hour and forty five minutes, and you could probably say an hour and forty three minutes are well directed. It's like the whole movie is so well directed. I mean, some of the scenes that I I really love. I already talked about the scene where Laurie comes out of the shadows. I think yeah. that's like my most favorite epic scene in this movie. It's so well directed. But another one I wanted to shout out, I thought it was really cool. It kind of goes back to what Greg was talking about of showing Michael moving within space, but not showing you too much or too little, like a perfect middle ground is the scene where Michael kills the, the chubby friend, the double kid, whatever he's called. And they have the, they have a motion, they have motion sensor lights in the backyard and they do such a great job of Michael standing at a distance. The lights go off, the lights come back on. He's closer now Then the lights go off again. Then they come back on and he's like right up on you. And I thought like, that's just like a perfect directed scene of building tension in a moment but also a great way to show movement of Michael within a frame, but not show him physically moving. And I feel like that's the OG like storyboard of John Carpenter is like showing him within the OG movie moving, but not showing him moving too much or too little, like the perfect balance. And and that's one thing this movie does consistently. It, it, it melds a perfect balance with, with, you know, the OG original, what they want and with like new age cinema. Yeah. What about you, Greg? Do you have anything to add? Yeah, the, the only, yeah, pretty much like what Rob said, like 99% of the, the movie is just very well directed. But um, one thing that I really w- wish that they would have done was I had so many problems with the decisions that Lori was making when Mike, Michael Myers came to the house, like standing next to the door when he could easily just reach through and, and choke her or when they were in the panic room and she decided to just blast a hole through the, the floor at nothing like giving away their position in the the basement when they didn't have to do that i was like yelling at the screen like what are you doing so many times like walking toward a closed closet a a couple of times until Mm. you get toward the end and you realize that this was all intentional that she was leading him into the trap and the the problem is i almost wish that you would have seen something like a maybe it flashed back and you see that she did it intentionally to lure him closer rather than because she was making mistakes. Um, because otherwise, I was still left with that lingering feeling of like, oh, I hate how she spent 40 years training, but she made all these dumb mistakes. You know, I wish they would have like tightened up that that bridge a little closer. So I, it, it made me realize it. Yeah, I mean, I, li- I literally wrote that in my notes too. Like there's certain, like you're halfway through this movie, you know, Lori's at her new comp, her compound with her daughter. And I literally put in my notes, like, why are there no booby traps? Like you've had 40 years to plan for this. Why haven't you like done a better job other than lights and guns until you get to the end and you're like, oh shit, you built the ultimate booby trap. Good for you. Like, let me scratch it out of my notebook, you yep. know, but it's like, yeah, they don't reveal that until the end. And, and like, you're talking about Greg, the, the part where she shoots the ceiling. I'm the same as you. I'm like, why are you doing that? You're giving away your position until the end and you're like oh shit like you are totally in control this whole fucking time even even the daughter judy greer has a great end moment where the same exact thing where like you think she's doing one thing and she's like no this was the plan since i've been 10 you know what i mean like this is what we've been waiting for for 40 years but until you hit that moment you're questioning things which i think is super cool Oh man. I, wow. I have a lot of comments on everything that you guys just said. I, I gotta tell you, I kind of disagree on just, you know, 
not thinking that they bridged that gap because I actually think it was great that you're like confused and wondering why people are doing something. And then there's a big reveal. It's a twist. And usually that makes you feel good. Like, oh, shit. Not only do I have the answer I was looking for, but it's nice when we can be surprised in movies. If you guess something from the beginning, it's not as fun of an experience. Yeah. So yeah. I I thought that was flawless. And we kind of have already been talking about the ending. And I know that Rob has mentioned, you know, a scene from the ending. That's his absolute favorite scene. I, I got to tell you, uh, the scene with Karen is my favorite scene of this movie. You know, up until this point, she has been, you know, rejecting her mother's ways. Like, you're crazy. I don't want anything to do with this. I have my life now with my husband and my daughter. And none of this means anything to me. And she's pretty shaken up when all of this goes down and she's brought to Lori's compound, you know, and, you know, she's even there's a scene where she's crying in her room and then she's down in the bunker and she's crying and she's, she's really shook. And then there's a scene where it's just her and her daughter and we don't know where Lori is. And she looks over at the weapons that Lori has and she sees her initials. And, you know, these are like 10 year old initials. K.S. Karen Strode. And you just know in that moment something clicks like, oh, fuck, here I go. Like, this is what I've been trained to do. Like Rob said, yeah. this is the plan since I was 10. And then even still, she grabs a gun and then she's freaking out. She's like, Mom, I can't do this. I need your help. And you're like, fuck, Karen, pull it together. What are you doing? <laughs> what, a, what a Karen. What a, what a Karen. <laughs> but then in that moment, you see Michael and her face completely changes in a snap. And she goes, Gotcha. Almost like it's a game. <gasps> you guys, I have goosebumps thinking about it right now. I, I can see thought, the goosebumps that are very oh, visible. My God, that was my ultimate favorite scene. And then directly after that is Rob's scene where, you know, also fucking amazing. Jamie Lee Curtis just her face comes out of the shadows out of nowhere. And she's like, What does she say? Happy Halloween, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So great. I know because I was gonna I was gonna ask you, Laura, because that's one thing you talked about on multiple of these Halloween episodes of of the you know, the final girl not being that great until the end. Like when they pull it together at the end, like Halloween four, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you feel that before this scene with Karen? Did you feel like she was not that great until that moment? And then you're like, Oh shit, I love you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's tough because I'd already seen this once before. So I already knew what was coming on this second rewatch. But mm. uh, yeah, I think maybe the first time I watched it, I was thinking, you know, kind of like what you guys were thinking. Oh, man, he's coming. You better pull your shit together. Like, but I at least at least I I think Judy Greer is a good actress, though. Well, and I have, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen her in horror before. So I was very pleasantly surprised that she was you know, a great character, great acting all the way through. And then at the end, it was like, it just got better and I wasn't expecting it. Oh, yeah, so yeah. good. Nice. I have a boner. <laughs> <laughs> is she is she going on your Mount Rushmore? Just not oh, one scene? shit. She might. Yeah. Well, do you guys want to get into more positives and negatives? I mean, I feel like we actually have had a good mix, but any that you haven't called out already, maybe, Rob? Um, I mean, you definitely do have to talk about music. You know, you do have to talk about the music. Like, like we said in the beginning, John Carpenter comes back to the franchise to to score this movie with his son and his godson, which is super cool. You know, mm -hmm. um, so I felt the music was really well done. I felt like it was a good like to me, this whole movie, you know, going back to what I said before is is such a good meld of the original and like new modern filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to the music too. like the music. There's certain points where 
you know, it, it's just Michael doing something. So it's very like old school feeling, very original theme. And then there's certain scenes where it's like the kids talking and it'll be like a modern theme, but it doesn't feel like out of place. Like it did. And I keep mentioning this, but the, the Rob Zombie Halloween movie yeah, yeah, where it just, it just never felt correct. It just felt out of place in situations. And this movie, every time the yeah. music, the music hit in a moment, it felt perfect for that scene. And it was like, bam, John Carpenter, you just, you're the best. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Greg? Yeah. They totally make good use of those ominous haunting horns that you, that you hear in a lot of these new movies when he kind of, when Michael Myers is pops up or when he brandishes a knife and you hear that. It's just, and then the kind of the, the Halloween synth lightly plays in the back. It was it was all the music. I agree with you, Rob. It's it, it's all the the music that I wish I would have heard in the previous versions that were trying to borrow from the original theme and make it more modern, but just yeah, didn't do it right. But this movie just nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And one more thing, I just want to mention, kind of speaking on the music, is you have to talk about the counterbalance of the use of silence in this movie. You know, f- for for the movie being so well scored. There are a lot of scenes in this movie that are just silent to where you're hearing nothing, but whether it's the breathing from like the original movie or it's just a scene that's supposed to be quiet. You're not supposed to hear anything so you can like feel the the scene in itself, if that makes any sense to you. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's great to add music to a scene that can also build tension, can build suspense, but the lack of sound can also make you feel at home in the moment because in reality there is not soundtracks to our lives. So when you're sitting at home and you're doing nothing, you hear silence. And so like, it makes you feel at home and it makes you feel real in like a real world setting. So I thought this movie did a great job with the work of silence, which goes back to the original. Cause that's what they did so well in the original was it's there's certain, so many quiet moments. And then when it needs to ramp up, it does. So yeah, it's just a great work overall for the music and the work of silence, which I think goes back more to the directing, but probably the same thing with John Carpenter involved. Yeah, that scene where, where Oscar is in that old man's yard and the motion sensor lights come on, that's absolute silence, except for the clicking of the lights mm-hmm. going on and off. Oh, my God, that got me. That was like, to me, that was the most brilliant use of silence in the whole movie. Yeah, I I totally agree. I The music was one of my favorite parts and everything you just called out about the silence they like you nailed it that's something i didn't really put my finger on until now and it's crazy and i just you know talking about positives because obviously we all have a lot from this movie but just going back to the easter eggs i mean you know i think the thing it with having this 40-year gap and all of these sequels in between Yes, they've made it clear that we're forgetting about all these other sequels. So I think that they had a really good opportunity to say, hey, look, it. there have been a lot of Halloween sequels. We know it worked. We know it didn't work. We're, it, it wasn't even like they were like, let's try again. They were like, we got this. We've nailed it. And I, I love how there were so many Easter eggs in this film. So if you're a big fan, it's almost like you're just smiling through the whole movie. You're in on all of these inside jokes that maybe other people aren't in on. And that's great and all, but the fact that they've paired that with actually a good story and good acting, I don't think I've ever seen the two and two go hand in hand. No, usually it's forced and it seems like they're doing a fan service to people. Exactly. But this was actually a good freaking movie. And so I just think that they've just really nailed the balance of so many different aspects of this and 
Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have do you guys have any other negatives about this movie? The main problem I had was that I felt like the comedy was very hit or miss to me. Hmm. Um, you know, there were, when they were subtle about it, I felt like it worked perfectly. Like there was that line where the the new sheriff they arrive at Vicky and Dave's house after they've been killed, and basically everybody's congregating there. And um, Doctor Sartain rolls up, and the sheriff says to him, "You sit still." And he's already sitting down. And he goes. Well, I was sitting still already. What, what do you mean? It was very simple, like just very lighthearted, like uh, slapstick humor. But mm-hmm. I, I love that. But then there were so many lines that I thought they were not subtle at all. And it rubbed me the wrong way. And it just felt goofy. Like the dad in the beginning when they're in the kitchen and then <laughs> goes, oh, man, I got peanut butter on my penis. Like, I thought. Yeah. Oh, that was weird. I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> um Maybe maybe that was a callback to Rob Zombie's opening of his movie and talking about wieners and jack, jacking <laughs> off on people and stuff. That, that was an Easter egg, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Wait, I got I got to cut in and just mention. No, actually, none of us have mentioned the dad and the fact that he dies. I Brooke, my husband Brooks, he was like the only comment he had after watching this movie was. No one even like cares that the dad just died. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that nobody <laughs> cared. Yeah, not, not even at the end where they're like in the truck together, and she doesn't look over and be like, "Hey, did anybody see Dave?" Like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, did he make it? <laughs> where is he? <laughs> She's just like, whatever. He's kind of a tool. Oh man, yeah. sorry, Greg. Keep going. I just no, it's okay. Again, just just more just more nitpicky <laughs> stuff. But I always have to get these off my chest just because it feels like catharsis for me um and then really just the only one thing that really is i almost grinded my gears was the scene with like the two cops arguing about the sandwich and the brownies like to me that that felt like that was an easter egg though and you've never seen halloween five to me that was okay if it was an easter egg it was an easter egg out of super bad because it felt like the two cops (laughs) were literally just like super bad this is the problem is like i feel like in horror movies and I, I actually had this same gripe with Event Horizon. I personally believe that in order to balance humor with horror, it has to feel organic. In this scene where the two cops were like joking each, to each other about their sandwiches, they're almost facing each other as if they're like reenacting a play. It seemed like you're on duty. Like, <laughs> like l- law enforcement, you have this thing called situational awareness to where, yeah, you may be multitasking with other things, but you have your eye on your duty, right? You have, you know what's going on. It would have felt more natural and normal to me if they were like serious. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, like looking at the road and then it was like, I wanted the joke to be secondary. They put too much energy into that joke. It was actually funny. And I think in another context, it would have been hilarious. I laughed at what they were saying, but I thought it's still out of place. Like, you know, that you're trying to do like watch on the most dangerous man in your city in the last 40 years. Like, why are you joking about the sandwiches? Like, I don't know. It, it, I, I didn't know whether to take it seriously or whether to like laugh. And I, I don't want that. I, I want to take the movie as a horror movie seriously all the way, unless we're talking intentional comedy, Shaun of the Dead or Zombieland. But this is like, I want to take it seriously, but like kind of laugh on the side along the way. And like, this is one example that took me out. So yeah, I mean, that that's one of the biggest negatives. We'll get into Rotten Tomato scores, I think, in a little bit, kind of towards the end here a bit. But that's one of the biggest like negatives of people that kind of don't like this movie or give it a rotten rating is like they didn't like the humor aspect. Really? They didn't like Hmm. that aspect of it, which I I agree with Greg in certain scenes, like like the cop scene in the sandwich. Like I chuckled. Like I thought it was funny. Yeah. But it wasn't like a great scene. It was just kind of like, okay. 
But, yeah. but the, the thing like you have to understand, Greg, is the only reason these comedic scenes are in here is to give you a break as a viewer. Like you need the pacing of this movie to like take a breath. And for coming from like two guys that are very comedic driven to them, taking a breath from action and killing is going to be a comedic, funny scene. Mm. It's not going to be two characters sitting around talking about their history or their life or something super deep and emotional. It's going to be a probably funny moment, you know? So like, I don't, I don't, I understand why they did it. Do I think all of them landed? No, I probably would agree with Greg. Like, I mean, we're talking about super nitpicky things in this movie because this movie yeah. is really, really good. And I really like it a lot, but I would agree with Greg. Some of the humor, it didn't land on me either. You know, yeah. like, I, I understand why you're doing it. And I understand the need for it for pacing reasons, but could it have been a funnier scene? Probably, especially knowing like Danny McBride involved. And I felt like the, the little like devil kid character was like supposed to be like this comedic kind of funny guy, you know, and he's like talking about like, oh, like the girls were rubbing on me out of boner and they're feeding me guacamole. And like yeah. none, of, none of that made me laugh. It was just kind of like, OK, but like that stuff, like you're talking about, Greg, I didn't yeah. it didn't I didn't land on me either. You know, like I get why they need it, but I really didn't care for it either. You know, that would be like probably my biggest negative would be some of the humor just doesn't land. Yeah, I really don't have any negatives. I think I do have one tiny, tiny nitpicky thing. And that's just the fact that same kid, the Oscar kid, goes, hey, let's go this way. I know a shortcut. I mean, I just wanted to like throw <laughs> my hands in the air at that point. Like, don't we all know shortcuts are no good? No shortcuts. <laughs> shortcuts at the end of your life is what it is. Yeah, yeah, like this movie is very, I think it's very intelligent. So, um it, it fell out of place like most horror movies it's you know they make a lot of unintelligent decisions and you're like well it's a horror movie this is a trope right and mm. we're just kind of along for the journey i didn't feel like this movie had a lot of those and so that one scene i was like what what why are we doing this uh, but again super nitpicky i mean yeah yeah i mean my my last point i just want to talk about is like we gotta talk about dr satan satan whatever his yeah. name is sartain the new dr loomis and like his whole like turn, like, I don't even know if it worked for me. I don't. Yeah, know I don't know either. Yeah. And, and going back to like my opening remarks of like, once he does the turn, he kills the sheriff. It made me think like, did he release Michael in the beginning mm. of the movie? Because clearly when he kills the sheriff, he wants Michael to find Lori. That's his whole plan. He wants to see them talk to each other. He wants to see what Michael does. He wants to document it for his research. You yeah. know, very similar to the podcast guy in the beginning of this movie, wanting to do whatever it takes to do this for his internal gain, but not give a shit about anybody else. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one that actually maybe killed the, sh the police officers on the bus and let Michael go. I wouldn't be surprised. Ooh, well, he, he lived, right? I mean, um, yeah. and where, whereas you would have thought that he would have been killed on the bus, but he was like shot by the kid, right? Or the kid, somebody. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, one, like the character twist, what did you think? And two, like, what do you think about him planning this whole thing? Um, yeah, I, I think at, at first when I when it got through it, when, you know, when you see him kill the sheriff and you see him put on the mask. At oh, first, yeah. that, that is a fucked up scene. It, it was almost like more messed up when you saw the kid put on the mask in part whatever that was for in rob zombies rob zombies yeah um and i was actually kind of glad like when when uh sartain died i was like okay thank god he's like not the new michael myers um but can you imagine 
you know, and this is like it reminds me of Event Horizon, right? You have a very you have you have a smart guy who's dedicated to a craft and he never gets to see the fruits of his labor. Okay? And when he finally gets the chance to see it, he'll do absolutely anything to to see it through. And in this case, Sartain was that way. Can you imagine being that guy? You're a professional. It's your life's job to rehabilitate people and you spend 40 years on this guy and you've you've done nothing. So when he finally sees him leave, I, I think that he's actually kind of jealous of Michael. The fact that Michael can get instant gratification for himself by killing people, by doing the wrong thing. And here's Dr. Sartain. He's trying to do the right thing by helping people. And he spent 40 years and he cannot get that gratification. I think his turn by saying, I want to know what Michael feels. It's like he's desperate to feel validation for himself and it's for his life's work and his career. So I didn't buy it at first, the first time through, but then afterwards I was thinking about it, I thought, man, I think it actually makes sense because he just wants to feel that and he feels lost and he feels like a failure and he's desperate. Hmm. What do you, what do you think, Laura? What do you think about all that? I'm pretty torn on it because I feel like, yes, if he has been working with Michael for all this time and this is your day in day out job, he's become more or less obsessed with Michael Myers so do I think that there's a chance that he could kind of lose it a little bit in his own way? And that makes him, especially when he puts on the mask, that makes him want to put on the mask. <laughs> yeah. Like, what does Michael feel like? I need to understand. I'm so obsessed. So I, I get it. But I don't love how he's referred to as the new Loomis and how he you know, studied under Loomis and was his student. Because I feel like, and I'm talking about the original Loomis, not Zombies Loomis, who yeah. ducks donkey balls. Yeah. yeah, he studied under Rob Zombies Loomis. Donkey yeah. balls. I feel like now I got to watch this the second one. I don't know what that's about. I mean, I, I'm talking about like Donald Pleasance. I, I feel like that kind of does him dirty. Like Donald Pleasance Loomis would have never fucking done that. So... Mm-hmm. I didn't like it in that sense. I mean, did it fit into the movie? It didn't. I didn't feel like it took up a whole lot of time. Did it fit in? Yes, because also in that scene, Allison, who was trapped in a car with crazy psycho doctor and unconscious Michael Myers, she's able to get away. And the only reason she's able to get away is because right before Michael kills Dr. Sartain, you know, most of his kills are so fast, he doesn't think anything of it. But we have seen, granted, in all the other sequels, that when it comes to his doctor, he he always has like a brief pause because mm-hmm. that's probably the only person he ever feels anything towards. And in that brief pause, that's how she's able to get away. So it, it did make sense in the movie. But yeah, how I feel about it, I, I agree with you, Rob. I don't know if it landed on me or not. I just am I'm pretty torn about it. Yeah, for for me, like I'm with Greg with his motives. I believe his motives. I understand it. I get why somebody being with Michael for I don't even know if they said how long he was with Michael. 15 years or 20 years or something like that. I forget that you would almost get like a, you know, a nightingale syndrome where you like start to relate and care and, you know, love your patient in a way that Mm -hmm. it's very unhealthy. So like that, I totally believe for me, I didn't like the fact that like there was a twist and I really liked the twist. And then the guy's killed. Ah. The payoff. Yeah. Like I wanted to know so much more. Like I wanted him to like make it to the end and like help Michael. You know what I mean? Like I'm your I'm your sidekick now. Something. It was just such a weird like I like the twist. But then when he's killed in five seconds, I'm like, wait, like what was the point then? Like, like you had no gratification at all. That's actually interesting. It would have been interesting if he if we had the same movie minus that. And Michael 
you know, is in this trap at the very end of the movie and it's, it catches on fire, which, Oh, also that was an Easter egg from the second one. I don't know if I mentioned that he like burns. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe he survives, but he like is behind bars now. Right. And that was kind of something I actually wanted to ask you. And you just jolted my memory for this ending. Now, when this came out in 2018, that was it. That was the ending. And of course, when I left the theater where, where I saw this, I was like, that's it. I'm like Michael's dead. He's, mm-hmm. he's done. But now we know that there's two more coming out. Yeah. They're going to, they're doing a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they've based already filmed on them. this based on this timeline. They've already filmed them. And from the stills I've seen, it seems like the next one that's going to come out next year. It literally picks up from the truck with Lori Strode, Karen Strode and Allison leaving the scene. So it's a, it's like a true continuation. And so part of me is like, how is this not so final but that's really interesting because if Dr. Sartain lived, then you'd be like, huh, what's going to happen with exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. If they would have left his death ambiguous, mm-hmm. you know, where like you didn't see Michael kill him. And then, you know, the second one, they reveal that like he's the one that helped Michael get out. Fucking great. That's fucking yeah. genius. And I get yeah. everything I want. But the fact that he smashes his head like a pumpkin, he's not coming back from that. He's gone. No. <laughs> you know? So like it just that that whole thing, as much as I really love the Dr. Twist, I feel like the payoff was nothing other than like was a cool there. head squash you yeah. know yeah he's certainly dead yeah for sure he's not coming <laughs> back in the next one yeah yeah i mean talking about sequels a bit when they cut back to the basement burning you don't see michael standing there you don't right? he's not there and i even tried to pause it and look like on the ground or like behind a shovel you know what i mean like he's not in that room i don't know of course you don't know how he escaped you're not going to know until later but like it's just another thing to be like they're setting it up of course you know and then like you said laura they've already announced they're doing two more so it's going to be a trilogy but one thing i really wanted to ask you guys knowing that two more movies are coming of this and it's very heavy-handed in this movie they make big emphasis in this movie I think the new Dr. Loomis clearly states Michael can talk. He just chooses not to. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing with the doctor is him wanting to put Lori and Michael together to see if he'll speak. And I feel like they're building to Michael's going to talk at the end of this franchise. He's going to say something. And I really want to ask Laura, what would you want him to say? <laughs> oh my God. I <laughs> Yeah. You just always fucking put me on the spot, man. I don't you're like the, it. You're the, you know, you're the Halloween like queen for us. Like you've watched these movies for so long. Like I said, like, you know, like I, I feel like if they're going to follow the storylines in this movie, which I think they're doing a really great job as directors picking up from two, do you think they're eventually going to do anything with revealing that they are siblings again? Oh yeah. That's I, not a bad idea. Yeah. Cause there's another part in this movie, you know, where the doctor, the new Dr. Loomis, he's talking to the sheriff in the car and he mentions he has like a weird comment where he says something like, like, I've been following Michael my whole life. And he's like, I read all the files. And the way he like says, like, I read all the files, meaning like he read something that nobody knows. It's very quick. And you probably would have to watch this again and just see that scene. But to me, like they're they're doing a trilogy and they're going to like go into kind of like the big tropes of the original franchise. And like the doctor is kind of saying almost in a scene to me, I know something that nobody knows. Like what else is there other than like they are siblings? 
Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a solid theme throughout the whole movie about him saying something. The whole intro ends with the journalist yelling at him, "Say something." Yeah. Th- then uh, Sartain was talking of, uh, to Allison in the car, and she said, "He said something to me." And he said, "What did he say to you?" And then in Doctor Sartain's last moments, he yells to Michael, "Say something." This is clearly like a, a running theme. That I would, I wouldn't be surprised if they built it up to him actually speaking in a, in a future movie. That worries me though, because hmm. that there's going to be so much weight on that, and I think that out of everything that I'm can think of in this time that you've given me to think about it, <laughs> like the like the brother sister thing, I would be okay with. But I think a lot of people would be like, okay, but I already kind of thought that, you know, I've mm-hmm. seen all the sequels, so that's that's a, that's heavy because they would have to get it right, and that worries me. I just feel it's so heavy handed in this movie. And they're doing a trilogy. It's going to happen at the end. I just don't know what he's going to say. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll it, see. Seems, it seems like we don't have the answers. Yeah, but if anybody wants to email us in, let us know either what you think Michael's possible last words would be or what you would want him to say face to face with Lori at the very end. Like hit us up, you know, conjecturing pod at Gmail or Twitter, Instagram at conjecturing pod. Let us know. We would definitely love reading these things. We got what, four more years before this comes out now with all the pandemic pushbacks. You know what I mean? Who knows when these movies are going to eventually come out. So we got time guys, you know? (laughs) All right. Yeah. So that's it for, you know, the review of this movie here. I think we've done a really good job diving into a lot of the, this movie, probably more than we should have. I might have to edit a lot. We'll see. Um, (laughs) But uh, you know, uh, not peanut butter on the penis aside, that's staying in. No, uh, that's um, all. That's all coming out. Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so let's do the ratings here. Let's get to the end here. Let's do the ratings. Uh, so we got one to five ratings for this movie. Um, let's do. Let's do how many? I'm gonna have to call this out for reference. We didn't really talk about it in the movie. But how many head o lanterns are you gonna give this movie? There, there's a scene. There's oh, a scene. God, the there's a scene in this movie where the two cops are killed, and through the window, it's when the the husband dies. You see the the lights of what looks to be a jack o' lantern. So you're like, oh, crazy! He opens the door, and it's one of the cops. Michael had decapitated the guy, carved out his eyes and mouth and nose like a jack o' lantern, and shoved the flashlight up his neck yeah. hole to make what I call a head o' lantern. You know, <laughs> so so let's do one to five. How many head o' lanterns are you giving this movie? Let's start with uh, let's start with Greg. What do you think, Greg? I actually think my rating went up a little bit after hearing a lot of the really cool stuff that you guys had to say. I think the part that I strongly agree the most with is is what you said, Rob, where this movie seems to have bridged like a really, you know, like mixed in the best parts of the original with like modern cinema. So um, unfortunately, I had a lot of sticking points that I didn't like. I know that you guys didn't really align with me on those that much, um, particularly like the off putting comedy in some areas. So that knocked it down a bit. But um, I'm going to wind up with I'm going to say three and a half head of lanterns. Wow, three and a half. Okay, that's pretty good. I mean, I forgot to see the Rotten Tomato scores. That's probably in line with them a bit here. Let me just reveal them real fast. We got Rotten Tomato scores of the critics gave this a 79%. Wow. I think is about right there. And then I think more like Greg, the audience gave it a 70%, which to me, I think that's very low. But, uh, you know, yeah. and I already, I already talked a little bit about some of the audience reviews were quoting things like they didn't like the humor. It was actually a big demographic of people that were either complaining about this not being a remake of the original, which was confusing. And then the other half of the people that didn't like it were saying, oh, it's too much like the original. 
Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. So I feel Please. like a lot of people that didn't like this movie, their opinions and standards going into this were one thing and maybe not where it should have been because it was very interesting to read some of these reviews. But uh, yeah, but but 70% was audience. So that's kind of it seems like where you're at, Greg, three and a half. It's about right there, I think. So what about you, Laura? What do you think, Laura? What do you how many head of lanterns are you giving this movie? Man, I, I'm glad I didn't read any of these reviews because I think I would have had a whole hour long grinding gears segment <laughs> on just Rotten Tomatoes reviews. I know. Um, <laughs> I I'm giving this four and a half head of lanterns. I wow. I really liked this movie. And I remember liking it when I first saw it. But I also remember the takeaway being, oh, that was for fans. That So many Easter eggs. So as the years went by, I think I just was like, oh, I liked it because, you know, it took care of the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and now watching it after watching all of the other ones, most of the other ones up until this point, I'm like, man, this one just fucking kills it. I mean, really it is so good. Wow, oh, four and a half. Because mm-hmm. you gave the original a perfect five, correct? I gave it like a 4.9. 4.99? Yeah, like just mm-hmm. just very shy of a full five, yeah. Okay. Wait, can I, can I actually, can I adjust my rating? I... <laughs> this is a first oh my god i know i've never really done that before like mid mid pod you know um but like i was and 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 greg has gave some shitty ratings guys yeah yeah i was thinking about like kind of how i how i judge a lot of these movies or how i look at them and thinking like the most that this could be as you know the original being kind of the pinnacle of it I think this movie does so much justice. I'd push it to a four. Nice. 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 Good job, Greg. You're with the critics now in the 79%. I like it. Yeah. Good job, Greg. Good job. You're not the a-holes Laura wants to yell at in the audience. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Well, speaking of changing ratings, I'm also going to do, I think, well, it's not a first because Laura's done this on Killer Clowns for a month. She changed her rating five times. Um, For me, the the original Halloween, I gave a 3.9. Now, I have watched this movie now four times leading up to every time we review one of these other Halloween movies. I always watch the original just as like a reference. Oh, my God. Because also dedication. It is dedication. But like I said, Laura, like I've never seen the original before. So I probably still haven't watched it even a tenth the time as you've seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've watched it four times now. And every time I watch it, I love it more. So, like, I'm going to be changing my rating. My original rating was 3.9. I'm going to go to a 4.9. Yeah! I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to almost wow. a perfect movie. The only reason I'm not giving it a 5 is because the the friend's acting. I just, I cannot get past. Every time I watch it, they it still bugs me. But everything else in that movie, pacing, music, Michael, Lori, is just perfection. And so, like, looking back, I'm like, I got to raise my rating. So I'm going to a 4.9 for the original. So, like, that's kind of this new standard. So back to this movie now, knowing that I'm changing that to a 4.9 and knowing that they call back so many things, but is not fan service. It's it's tweaking it enough to make you, like, call it out as cool, but it pushes the story along in such a smart way. I love it every time they do that. I don't think there was one time where they did an Easter egg that I felt was like out of place. Exactly. And I feel like that's so cool. Like I said, my only negative would be like Greg said, some of the humor did not land on me. So of course it's not going to be like a perfect rating, but if I'm giving the original a 4.9 to me, this is I'm with Laura. This is the 4.5. Wow. It's right there. This is such a good movie. Like 
I'm going to be like Laura now. Like I'm going to continuously watch this movie like all the time. Like she does watch all the Halloween movies, you know, it's, it's a great movie. It's 4.5, but yeah. Yeah. So there you go, Laura. I know this is just making you super happy right now. So she's doing, she's doing like a dance, everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She looks like one of those gifts where Michael's dancing on like a patio. (laughs) (laughs) You see a knife in your hand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, so that's it. That's our ratings uh, for this week. Very high ratings. Very well-made movie. Um, So let's get to next week's movie reveal, Laura. This is going to be the last week of our conjecture ween. You know, I'm sad to see it come. It's been such a cool month-long, you know, Halloween thing. Especially for me and Greg. Like, we keep saying this, that me and Greg do not... We've never seen these movies. You know, we're, we're the morons wearing dunce hats that didn't know shit going into these movies. And I am just so happy that one, Laura had this great idea and two, like, you know, all the movies she's picked, we've either had like fun bashing it (laughs) or, or like an epic time watching it because it's a cool movie. So just want to say thank you, Laura, before we get to the end here. Ah, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. So, so speaking of that, you know, what are we doing next week? What are we doing for our last week? All right, it's the last week. I don't know if this is going to be epic or a fucking <laughs> failure, but uh, mm-hmm. we are going to go backwards in time here a bit, and we are going to end our conjecture wane with the heavily debated Halloween 3 season of the witch. So this is a this is a standalone movie in the trilogy or uh, in the franchise, which is why I was comfortable doing this last. And uh, I mean, personally, I saw this once many, many, many years ago, and I had a very strong opinion of it. And so I'm just for myself, I'm super curious to rewatch and see if that changes. And yeah, I just kind of want to see what you guys think about it. I mean, this is something I see on Twitter all the time. And uh, again, it's one of those movies that people have just such strong opinions of for and against. And I, I just kind of see where we all land on it. Yeah, yeah. It's also the last Carpenter movie that he actually helped produce before mm. this current one. So he has a hand in it. So that also kind of, you know, makes me have a little bit of hope, you know what I mean? Knowing that he has a hand in it, but we'll see. Um yeah, so that's yeah. cool. I'm excited to watch this one, this solo one, the one that I feel like everybody hated because Michael was not in it. So, yep. you know, especially coming off watching what we just watched, which is like a really cool, you know, yeah. comeback of Michael. Now we're going to go to know Michael. It's going to be kind of interesting. But uh, yeah. And Greg, you've never seen this one either again, Greg? No. Right. Uh-uh. Okay. You were watching like H2O. Oh, H2O again. Oh, yeah. okay. Nice. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be we're going to be done with Conjecture Wing. It's going to be you know greg's pick and he's gonna be like i want to watch h2o this week <laughs> and be yeah. like, oh my god <laughs> nice oh that's funny that's funny yeah so uh yeah if anybody wants to email us in let us know you know any recommendations for movies starting pretty much november we're going to be going back to our normal routine of picking movies we're actually talking about possibly maybe letting listeners decide for a week you know what we watch which would be really cool and fun we've had a couple emails of, of people saying hey you should, you should review this so we'll see what happens when it comes november uh but that'd be something to kind of look forward to so you can hit us up you know conjecturing pod at gmail twitter instagram at conjecturing pod let us know what movies you want us to check out um also remember subscribe rate review our podcast whatever you're listening to it on and uh check out the slash and cast podcast network at slash and you know don't forget to coming up in man two weeks you know we got the the you know halloween convention these guys are going to be putting on 30th and 31st 
we're going to have a segment on there. So check that out. I think that's also slashingcast.net. Uh, they probably have the website there or also it's just their YouTube channel. So get ready for that. So yeah, that's it for the week. This has been The Conjecturing. I've been Rob. And Laura. And Greg. Yeah, until next time, remember, horror is subjective, so conjecture away. See ya. Bye. Say something! <laughs> <laughs>